Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Happy Sunday. Well, we have some very special guests with us this morning. I just want to honor them for being in our city this week. Youth with a Mission, YWAM. Thank you for being in Kansas City. These guys were here all week for the Send. I know some of you went to Send yesterday or watched the live stream like I did in the air conditioning. (laughs) So glad it did not rain and lightning like this yesterday. Um, But yeah, these guys have been here all week in Kansas City, blessing our city. They have been doing ministry, street evangelism. We're going to hear from a few of them in in just a second. But we thank you for being here. We honor you. Uh, The men stayed in our basement. You have not lived until you've lived a week in a 100-year-old-plus building. Yeah? (laughs) Together. So Way to go, guys. Way to be troopers. But we're just so, so grateful that you've been here. I've got one announcement, and then we're going to hear from them a few testimonies of their week. City Life people, just a reminder. I'll be really quick. We've got a June class coming up, actually a training, two different book studies. Please get on the website and get signed up. That is tremendously helpful to see who's going to what class and what child care needs we have. So if you guys could go to our website today. That would be preferable. Get signed up. We'll get the book in your hand. Um, Don't be intimidated by a book study. That's what summer's for. It won't be super intense. Both are going to be awesome. A church history book that we're going to go through and the book called Supernatural, looking at the supernatural worldview that we often overlook that is plainly there in the Bible. So sign up for one of those book studies. We'll be meeting Tuesdays in June, Tuesday evenings. It's going to be awesome. All right. I'm going to welcome up Elijah Andrews. Yep. Fun fact, Elijah is the younger brother of Miss Anna Snodgrass. So, yeah. So, super fun. The Elijah has been here kind of all week as these guys have been staying here, been a great leader. Thank you for honoring our building so well. Yeah, you've just done a tremendous job. He's going to introduce these guys, give us a few testimonies of what they've witnessed and how they've blessed our city this week. Hello. Hi. So, yeah, like she said, I'm Elijah, youth with a mission car at Springs. Yes, I'm wearing Burks with socks. We didn't prepare for church, so excuse me. Um, but yeah, we have Dawson and Jaden. Um, Dawson is in our bridge school. It's like a leadership training school. And then Jaden is in our discipleship training school. Um, but they're just going to share some testimonies. This was a crazy week. We've had like 13, 14 hour days of worship and ministry, evangelism, evangelism to the city. It's been wild. So we're exhausted, but we're here and we're excited. Uh, but yeah, they're going to just share some testimonies of some cool things that happened this past week. Yeah, so my name is Dawson. Um, um, yeah, so one of the things that we were doing a lot this week was evangelism. Big thing. So we were going door to door just sharing the gospel. Like we were, a lot of us were putting on a, like basically a community event. And so we were kind of advertising that. But then we would go into just right sharing the gospel with people. 
And so the first day I, uh, I go out evangelizing with a group of people, um, we're going door to door, and we come to this one house, and all of a sudden this, this mom opens the door, and we're like, perfect, this is a great opportunity. We just want to go up to and talk to her. And she's like running after her kid, and she's like, yeah, I got more kids in the bag. You want me to bring them up and talk to them? I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> like, cool, yeah. Um, but yeah, they were, they were ha- it was such a hot, this week has been so hot. So the kids were playing in the sprinkler with their pool or whatever. And, and yeah, so we, we kind of weren't sure what was happening because the mom was like trying to find her kids. We kind of ended up walking away, but all of a sudden just like six kids come to the front of the yard. And we're like, okay, this is, this is awesome. They started talking with us. They were just so, so amazing, so cute. They just wanted to just tell us about their sprinkler and <laughs> how much fun they were having. Um, but yeah, like we literally just started talking with them, and this one girl, like we, we, she just seemed so hungry, and she was so, she, I think she was maybe around 10 years old, but she was just talking about her faith and stuff like that, because we had brought up, like we were going around telling people about Jesus, have you heard of him? Um, and then we had, we, so we were going around handing Bibles and stuff, and so we hand all these kids Bibles, and they just were like, kids on Christmas, they were so excited, they're like, we want to read these Bibles every day, and they were just so excited, and we were just sort of like, well, we got to tell them about Jesus, because these kids want to hear and so we walk them through the gospel and, like, what Jesus did for them, trying to keep them um, on, you know, like, engaged because, you know, they were really young. I think they were ages, like, 5 to 10 or something like that. But, yeah, we, we were praying with them, and they all prayed to receive Jesus at six, six kids. So, yeah, so amazing. It gets better. Um, and the, apparently there's another kid still inside because she, this little girl runs out, and her sister's like, you got to hear about this. And, like, they... And she's like, we want you to pray this prayer with us, too, because we had kind of walked through a prayer with them. And then she joined us. And so, yeah, I think it was about seven kids that day received Jesus. But it was just so amazing because it's like this city is so hungry and so in search of something more. And this, this generation is just raising up kids that are ready to go and ready to hear and want something that's real. And so we were able to just share that with people. And it was just so impactful for me to just be a part of that. Like these kids just wanted Bibles, and they want something that's real. They want Jesus. So, yeah, amazing. Praise God. All right, hi, I'm Jaden. <laughs> if my voice cracks at all, I've, I'm so sorry. I'm not sick. I've been literally like talking for hours and hours every day and then screaming at the sun yesterday, so with me. But um, there's so many stories of God's goodness this week. I, it's so hard just to pick one. But I was partner, partnering with Bethel Family Worship Center um, for my outreach group. And we got to go door to door and like um, advertise this event called the Ruskin Fest. So that was really fun. And then obviously like share the gospel too. But um, I'll talk about the Ruskin Fest. So we were in Sycamore Park. I don't know if you guys know where that is, but that's where the event was held. Um, we had Todd White there. He's an amazing um, evangelist. So he was there to speak. And then we had this like DJ. Um, but we, were, we went to high schools, um, invited a lot of high schoolers, invited a lot of families. We had a really good turnout. And the coolest thing was this, was Todd White, after he preached, he had like an altar call for salvation. And a lot of people went up. It was a lot of like high school guys. And then there were some like single moms and like grandmas and like older dudes that gave their life to Jesus. So after they prayed the prayer of salvation, then we took them under to these tents and um, people just got to connect with those that just gave their life to Christ, answer any questions, pray with them. And then they got baptized. And that was so, so cool to experience. Like, to experience, like, people getting saved, then getting prayer, then getting baptized, and then receiving the Holy Spirit. Like, I've never experienced that all happening. 
at the same time. I think there was like 24 people that day of all different ages that gave their life to Christ, got baptized. And so it was amazing, like literally like little kids and then like older people. So like all sorts of ages. And then after they got baptized, they got to go into this tent and get changed and just like get prayer to like receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And like people were on the ground, like teenage boys that have never experienced Jesus before. And so it was really cool just getting to talk to people and be like, how do you feel? And they're like, I don't even know how to explain how I feel. Like, they just felt God. And I just want to encourage you guys, like he said, like, people are hungry and thirsty for Jesus. And so, like, I just want to encourage you, like, it doesn't matter how young or how old you are. You are still here for a purpose. And it's just to share the gospel. And God's given us all gifts to do that in creative ways. But, yeah, I think it's such an encouragement to know, like, people are hungry. So go out there. And we also just have some quick stats. So every day this past week, leading up to this end, from 2 to around 5, we were doing outreach to the city. So we were literally going door to door, handing out Bibles and evangelizing. Um, I've, I've actually never been a part of something that bold. Like, we were just like, we're not Jehovah Witness, we promise. Um, but through, through these local outreach times, there we served over 7,500 people. We distributed 5,000 Bibles, um, shared, had gospel seeds um, spread 3,000 times, and there was 500 salvations in your city. And a huge thing about YWAM that we really try to do well is we don't want to just show up, share the gospel, have an encounter with somebody, and then we leave them. And so through these outreaches, we've been partnering with churches all over the city. So everyone that you know, had a gospel seed or whatever, or received um, Jesus as their Lord, they're immediately planted with the church, connected with the church, for people to, to disciple them and lead them through their new walk. Um, so I just want you guys to know, you know, you're like, like Dawson said, your city is hungry. We were just here for a week. We were just here for a week, and we were just being bold. I've never been more proud of, like, everyone in the bridge, with our staff, with our DTS, just going door to door. It was hot. It was so hot. But we, you know, we just leaned in faithfully, and the turnout was insane. Um, so I just want to support you guys, the local church, so that, you know, if you feel like, you know, discouraged in spreading the gospel, if you feel discouraged in um, sharing the love of Jesus in the city, don't be. Because just what we see in a week, people are hungry here. And you just got to step out. You got to step out of the comfort zone just be like, hey, can I pray for you? It's awkward. Sharing the gospel is awkward. There's not an easy way to do it sometimes. But people need it. <laughs> people need it. Um, but yeah, we just, and we just want to thank you guys for hosting us. Um, we tried not to tear up your basement. We didn't, we, I promise. But yeah, we just, you guys, you guys blessed us so much. I'm actually going to get Sierra to do it. Come on, Sierra. Sierra is a natural evangelist on our team. She carries the authority. I don't feel like I have the authority as much as she does. So yeah, just pray over the over the people. Jesus, I thank you for these faithful servants, God. I ask that you would anoint them afresh today, God. That you would give them boldness and courage, God. Um, yeah, Lord, just like the disciples, God, who are unschooled, ordinary men, Lord, but yeah, Father, they saw thousands of salvations in, in just one day, God. I ask that 
we would have the fervor and the urgency to love people enough to share your good news, your truth with them, God. They need it more um, than we can know, God. And, yeah, Lord, uh, your, your, fa- your faith that you give us uh, must be greater than our feelings, God. So we just ask that you would fill us with urgency to share your love with this city, God. Um, in our homes, may it spread to the neighborhoods, may it spread to, yeah, Lord, public places, God, that, yeah, Lord, we would make it hard for people to go to hell in Jesus' name. Thank you, guys. Thank you so, so much. All right, let's extend our hands to these guys. We'll pray for you guys. Just bless this team. Thank you for the fruit of their lives. Thank you for the seeds that they planted in our city this week. We pray protection as they travel back to all of, all of the different places where they're going home to. And God, we just honor them and bless them. Continue the fruit of their ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, thank you, guys. What an awesome week. Well, we have a treat today. We have a guest speaker. Brett Jensen, one of our life group leaders, is going to bring the message today. Brett is such a champion of people, and I know that is going to come through loud and clear today. So, Brett, come on up. Thanks for being here. Well, hello, hello. This is a wild Sunday. It's, uh, there's, like, so much momentum, I'm, like, feeling the pressure to, to keep it moving. So let's start with this, this beautiful image I found on the Internet, because this is... <clears throat> this is the topic for today. Uh, does anybody have a guess where we're going? This is this is fence straddling. That's that's the image of fence straddling. This is what we're going to talk about today. One of the places uh, many people find themselves with regard to Jesus uh, in, in our city and our culture is it's straddling the fence. It's having a foot in. It's having a foot out. Uh, People are naturally cautious about the things of God because uh, people know the stakes are pretty high. There's a lot to consider. Uh, In our culture, there are things that are readily accepted about Christianity. Uh, You'll hear almost everybody knows things like and agrees with things like love your neighbor. Uh, Judge not lest you be judged. Uh, Maybe turn the other cheek. Most people think... Uh, if there is a God, he would be loving and like can can kind of roll with stories like the Good Samaritan. So there are foot in things that people naturally and some people just feel like it's it's good and nice uh, to be associated with the church. Basically, the things that are easy to put your foot in are things about being a nice, good person uh, compassion for your fellow man, and a loving God, right? Because these things closely align with cultural values, uh, like uh, tolerance, inclusivity, uh, a higher power who loves indiscriminately. So, so we're going to get a lot of buy-in on the things that the culture already believes. Those are going to be foot-in things, um, but there are a bunch of doctrines and a bunch of moral instructions that actually oppose the prevailing culture that are not readily agreed with. 
And there's probably a long list. We'll touch a couple. You know, one thing that's pretty common sense in our culture is that man is basically good, right? That, that, that he is, he's good inside. And we know according to Scripture that, that, that God has a slightly different opinion on that. And that, in fact, as, as simple as it, he was, man is so sinful, so depraved, that only the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the God-man, could he be saved. It's, it's, it's that much corruption. Uh, another thing that's pretty common sense in our culture would be all religions are basically the same, describing the same higher power. Right? You Surely you've heard that. Maybe you agree with that. Right? But only Christ atoned for sin, and so it, it means... All other perspectives and worldviews are incomplete. That, that Christianity claims exclusive truth because of this sin issue and the salvation that can only be found in one person. Maybe you've heard, uh, what is true for you is true for you. And what's true for me is true for me. Right? But there's only one God-man. There's only one person who atoned for sin. And so all other truth claims now have to be subordinate to what Jesus says. Right? So these are the issues that have people and more. Right? There's more. Uh, troubling doctrines. Judgment Day. The second coming of Christ. Uh, heaven and hell. Spiritual beings like demons and angels and Satan. Moral issues like uh, sex being confined to marriage and issues of gender and sexuality. There are a whole slew of things that keep people a safe distance from, from actually making a call. So we got a foot in. There are some things I naturally agree with about Christianity and a foot out, right? These things encourage people to kind of keep a safe distance. Maybe even for years people might attend church might uh, go to Bible studies, and yet, in their heart of hearts, they're a foot in and they're a foot out. They're, they feel safer. They're hedging their bets, right? This is not just for explicitly non-Christian people. Uh, we know this. Like, you know this. You know what I mean? We, we've, we've been around, and this isn't a critique of of. of all the masses of people, but it's, it's, it's trying to get to the heart that, you know what, there are things that are easy to believe because everybody believes them. And there's some very hard things that unless you have loyalty to Jesus Christ, like you're, you're going to struggle throwing all the way in. There was a study in 2009 by uh, the Barna Group, then they wrote a, a book called uh, The Seven Faith Tribes. And the premise of the book was, is, hey, let's figure out the landscape of American religious belief. And that's always been a confusing study because there have been so many denominations that it, the, the information become, lacks any relevancy. So let's say we're going to ask different questions. We're going to ask substance questions about what you think about spiritual beings and uh, the authority of the Bible and X, Y, and Z. And they got much different results. Uh, Different categories, but by far the biggest discovery was that the number one demographic in America was called casual Christian. 
It's roughly 66% of American culture in 2009. 66% was casual Christian, which would be Christianity without any troubling doctrines or moral convictions. <clears throat> Barna describes this group of people, uh, this demographic of people. He says, casual Christianity is faith in moderation. It allows them to feel religious without having to prioritize their faith. Christianity is a low-risk, predictable proposition for this tribe, providing a faith perspective that is not demanding. A casual Christian can be all things that they esteem, a nice human being, a family person, religious, and explanatory, exemplary, thank you. Christian, a reliable employee, and never have to publicly defend or represent difficult moral or social positions, or even lose much sleep over the private choices as long as they mean well and generally do their best. From their perspective, their brand of faith practice is genuine, realistic, and practical to them. Casual Christianity is the best of all worlds. It encourages them to be a better person than if they had been irreligious, yet it is not a faith into which they feel compelled to heavily invest themselves. Right? How American to be the individual authority over God, right? I'm going to decide, God, what gets to stay and what gets to go. And what's wild about it is there's 66 percent of the population who think they are the authority with a unique perspective and yet the lines fall all in the same spots the same moral things trouble them they retain the same things the same doctrines trouble them it's it's bizarre a huge majority uh, of people feel much more comfortable as a part of a christian-like crowd committing themselves to the master. Uh, this is Christianity without having to count the cost. You just come. You just attend. You, you, uh, you're a part of it, but you've never come to terms with Jesus himself. So today we're going to explore how Jesus interacted with the crowds. This is what the series is. The series is called Say What? And if you're familiar with the Gospels, you know there are these different people that Jesus interacts with, and he, he honestly has much a very different response uh, depending on who he's talking to. And, we, and we've begin that talk to the, to the weak, he is soft and, and tender, to the, to the prideful, he can be very challenging, and today we're going to look at what does he say to the crowds, right? Because in his day, people flocked from all over Judea by foot uh, to see this miracle-working itinerant preacher. And what we're going to talk about today is that people in his day were the exact same. There's a foot in, there's a foot out. I think I got the picture again. A bunch of fence straddlers, right? Because want to hedge your bets, want to want to play it safe, and don't want all the price tags that come with being associated with Jesus' disciple. Okay, so here we go. Here's our, here's our main passage for the day, Mark 8, 34, 38. Uh, it reads like this. 
And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So Mark 8. Mark 8 is the second half of kind of Jesus' ministry. And there's a distinct shift, if you're familiar, in which... Uh, he is turning away from just educating the masses about the kingdom of God, and he starts to focus because he knows what's to come. And so the buzz is out there. People have heard it. If you, if, I mean, you probably know. There, there were crowds as big as 5,000 that we know of, maybe larger. Um, the buzz was everywhere. People knew at least this guy was a prophet. They, they came to get healing, so there was, they knew there was miracles and it was there was a buzz like could you imagine you know just the lengths you would go if this might be the Christ and that's what it was people flocked and to this people we get this message and it is a firm line in the sand that says hey this is not what this is this is not just a popularity this is not just creating buzz and audience it's anyone who wants to come after me must cross this line. Anyone. It's a great message for us and, and for, for, for people considering Christ in our culture, right? We, we, one thing that happens quite often is church, churches get quite large and anonymous. And yet, for anyone, the, the, the line, you must cross the line. It's the, it would be the same message. He's not here to draw a crowd. He's here to challenge every single one of us to cross the line and to become a disciple. So let's break it down a little one or a little bit. Anyone, no exclusions, not based on family or wealth, ethnicity, gender. No one's excluded. Everyone must decide. If your family was religious or if they could care less, you still must decide. You can't just grow up around it. Uh, you, me, all of us. You know, there, there's, there's no osmosis into the kingdom of God like you have to cross the line. Number two, deny himself, right? To, to cross the line is going to cost you something. For most of us, it's a social cost. You feel like... Uh, there's going to be people who think of you differently or who, would, who will reject you if you go all in and you cross that line. Your agenda, your independence, autonomy, your control, what you want, it's surrendered to the one who made you, who, who loves you. But it is surrendered nonetheless. You have to, to cross the line. You've got to deny yourself. And Jesus isn't just adding to your life. 
you are making Jesus, his ways, uh, his view of the world, his, his words on right and wrong, his priorities, his life, you're, you're making those your life. You're not just adding something. Next thing he says is take his cross and follow. I'm really bad with this mic. I feel like I can only hear it every once in a while. The point is it's not an easy road, right? This, this, this idea of bearing a cross, like in our culture, means enduring a challenging life situation. Uh, that's not what it would have meant to them. It would have it meant you've got to remain loyal no matter what. Like no matter what. Uh, no matter the social pressure, no matter the, how troubling a situation is, no matter the persecution, uh, no matter how much culture despises or praises, no matter how complicated things get on the holidays, uh, no matter if your friends are going to treat you different, to take up your cross is a no matter what amount of allegiance now think about this just for a second. He's not saying this to certain elite people looking at the masses and saying this is, this is what it means. This is what it means because it does get unclear. You know, if you had if you'd followed Jesus around and you had heard the sermon on the mount and you'd, you'd seen things, you would feel a certain, a certain amount of association to Jesus. And he's saying... That's, that's not enough. Like, you, you have to cross the line. You have to deny yourself. you got to pick up your cross. And in case it wasn't clear enough, then he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Right? There's no self-preservation. There's no foot in or foot out. You can't. You can't answer this call and straddle the fence. And that's why it's so challenging, right? That it's, he's challenging exactly the position they want to stay in, crowd members, that we want to stay in oftentimes, not having to make a hard call, not having to count the cost, faith and music, right? At its core, it is a surrender a realization that that's, that's God asking me. This isn't just make-believe. And my life will ultimately be better if he leads and if I throw all the way in. Now, the scriptures like this, I think, are really, really important for us. You know, if you've grown up around, you probably, probably everybody in here is, has, has heard about Jesus for a large portion of their life and heard about uh, the stories and heard about how, uh, I don't know, tons, tons of things. So, so, so indoctrinated in our culture, tons of Christian things, but so little clarity. And that's why we need passages like this. There is a, there is a classic Christian maxim from kind of a, Luther's era, he used to say, faith alone. Faith alone, right? Because, because in that era, it was, it was works that became so confusing to finding the path to salvation. And I think in our day, one of the distortions that, that becomes so confusing is we've changed faith alone to mean 
belief, and that's it. And, it, and I can be a part of this crowd. I can, I can believe, and that's it. Meaning nothing else, no repentance, no breaking from the world, no renewing your mind, no pursuit of holiness, no affection for God, belief, and that's it. I, had a, I have a really good buddy I played baseball with for years. And I don't know, we were playing catch, and I don't know how this conversation even came up, but he said to me, he said, I find it really hard to try that hard or care that much about the things of God because I'm saved. It's like, you, you know this too. It feels like, well, I have the most important thing. So the rest of it just feels like a lot of work, like a lot of effort. That, that is belief, and that's it. But that's foreign to the scriptures. That's foreign to Jesus' call to this crowd. Salvation is free. That's not what I'm, I'm not trying to distort that. It is by grace, not by what you do. But there's another fundamental of Christianity that, that, that a Christian receives the Holy Spirit, and, and the Spirit starts to do some renovations, starts to change some affections, starts to shift your mind. It just happens. The Spirit starts to work inside of us. And number one, I would say you start to love God. I think that's it's a very normal, necessary part of, of, of saving faith. You, you start to care about him. Number two, you start to at least agree with some of the sins in your life that they're wrong, and you, f- you feel like I have to turn from these. Those are, those are two very natural reactions. But to the person who makes no shifts, who doesn't feel any of this, who feels like foot in, foot out, is perfectly okay, or as my friend said, I, I find it hard to, to care or try because I'm saved. James 2. I think, I think James 2 is written to this person. It says, what good is my brothers and sisters? If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is, is dead. You believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Right? Faith alone, true. But belief and that's it. That, that's the fallacy. That's not, that's, not, that's not the scriptures. That's why Jesus says, hey, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. I had uh, a young man just last week ask me, we were, he, he had said he's not religious, he believed in a higher power, and had said, uh, well, he kind of gave me some background, it kind of made sense, some of the experiences he had grown up, um, and I, I was stunned because he asked me the question, what does it mean to give your life to God? And I thought, well, at least you're asking the right question. And it's not hard to explain, but the, that's, a, that's, a, that's a knowing this is going to cost me something conversation. That, that's a knowing I'm going to have to cross the line. But that was pretty insightful for him. 
German theologian, pastor, super Christian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Right? That line, deny yourself, bear a cross, that's the call. That's normal Christianity. Right? The death of your old self, your old ways, old lifestyles, your allegiance to the culture, its values, like, it dies. You, you, you kind of, and it's, it feels like a, a hefty price tag as you, as you count the cost. To come out of the crowd, to cross over the sand, or the line of the sand, begin life as a disciple. But it's very normal, normal Christianity. I'm going to read us a few scriptures, and I think you'll see the theme. Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All right, he died, and now he lives anew. Galatians 6, for God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Galatians 5, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. More death to self. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Right? It's to, to lay yourself on the altar for God, and yet you're still alive. That's, that's the appropriate response of worship. Romans 6, 6, we know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, right? We die, so we're not no longer enslaved to sin. The most important one, though, is this last one. For today. So I have this verse, a few closing comments. So John 12, 24 through 25. So this is Jesus' words. He says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it, on, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Okay, so we get this, this picture. But what a powerful story. Unless the seed dies, nothing happens. It doesn't grow. It doesn't multiply. And the point is this. The power comes after it dies. The power to this life, to the life explained in the Scriptures, comes after the kernel dies. People who spend a lifetime standing on the fence will never know what this life is like unless that kernel dies. No death to self, no power. Imagine trying to live a Christian life without it. People do it all the time. All the time. Hearing the moral bar, uh, failing, uh, what else? 
trying to break from the whole of the world or the opinions of other people, the social pressure, trying to remain pure or fidelity to a marriage. Imagine trying to live this life without the power of God in your life. Happens all the time. If you straddle the fence, to, to know what is true, but like the power eludes you. You don't, you don't know where to find it. Two things tend to happen. This is one of the hardest positions to be in. So one person will be honest with themselves and be, and be like, this is impossible. I've, I've straddled the fence. I've evaluated. They'll be honest with themselves. This is impossible. And they quit. They quit. I've talked to numerous people just like this. The bar was too high. I couldn't do it. The shame and the guilt was too overwhelming, and they quit. Or number two, they put on a plastic smile and pretend and just stay a part of the crowd. But the power comes when the seed dies. If you cross that line, you will find a loving God who meets you and fills you. Last thing I want to say is this. It doesn't feel like dying. When you count the cost, when you cross the line, it doesn't feel like dying. I remember the day in my apartment in college, sitting on my bed. I remember it's like a, like a monument in my mind the moment I did it. In my heart and mind, a giant burden lift off, lifted off me, and my mind was flooded with hope. Absolutely flooded with hope. Because the reality was, I realized everything in my life got me exactly here. And I wasn't satisfied with that. And the thought hit me, what could God do with my life now that it's fully his? It feels like you're paying everything, but when you actually do it, it doesn't feel like dying. You'll be flooded with hope. You're no longer bound to your abilities or your wisdom, but your, but your, your life in its course and its destiny will be firmly in the hands of God who has no limits. And so what you think you're capable of, who you think you are in this world, you don't know. Because when you, when you cross that line, when you deny yourself, bear a cross, follow him. Do you think these disciples knew what was going to happen in their lives? Right? No. But you, you can't straddle the fence. You have to answer the call. All right, let's pray. Lord, I do pray for us uh, a clarity of heart. I truly, truly hope that we can be honest with ourselves and know that this challenge from Jesus is to wake us up so that we wouldn't just pass through life with this 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 kind of vague sense of Christian association but to know that normal Christianity is to give your life to surrender and I also pray you'd fill us with great hope This does not feel like dying when you do it. It feels like resurrection. It feels like renewal. And uh, 
Yeah, I pray you speak to speak to our hearts and help us over the line. We love you and pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org. And we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.